0: Real people real opinions
1: real talk radio the multi award winning Nile Boylan show Ireland's
0: classic hits.
2: it's something I suppose that we don't think of on a day to day basis and um, we don't think about trafficking we we just hope that kind of stuff is not happening and I suppose for most of us it doesn't affect our lives thankfully but then again. Now and again, it does touch us because we hear about somebody or we hear about a person who's been either sexually assaulted or who has been abused within a care system, be it in foster care or residential care or whatever it is. And I remember actually, in fairness to RTE, going back some time ago, they did release uh, a documentary or it was a primetime investigates program on people who were abused within the health care system in Ireland and abused within the residential care system in Ireland. And it's always a fear that you have when you put either an older person or a younger person into residential care, of course, that they won't be looked after properly. JP O'Sullivan and Anne Mara of mechpaths Um good evening to you both, and I hope you're both there now. Good evening, now Um I think my colleague Anne is joining us shortly. Okay, she's just a bit there. That, that was sorry about that, we had a slight technical That's issue. And there you go. We we're, we're back now. Okay, we have you both now, and I'm glad to see that. Um firstly, Wait. um if I go to you first, Anne, to be fair. I mean, this report, to from the outset and from the outside looking in, is shocking. But when you started out this report, or not when you started out with the report, when you examined this report first, were you surprised by this or was it what you expected?
0: Uh, good evening, Niall, and thanks a million for having us on. Um, to be honest, no, we were not surprised at all. This is something that we have been hearing anecdotally for many, many months now from frontline workers. Um, the fact that hotels are being used to exploit um, children and young people is, is has been widely known. And it's something that we would have heard a great deal about, given the work that we do with frontline professionals.
2: When I read the story in the Irish Times initially, uh, I think it was last week actually in the Irish Times, and some of the, they mentioned some of the individual cases, which I didn't go into there, well it talks about say for example in one case a 16 year old girl was exploited by a group of men who would pick her up from a residential care home practically mm-hmm. every night of the week. I mean essentially yeah. using this young girl for prostitution. I mean th- we, I mean, these pe- children are in the, the care of the state. So you don't expect that to happen do you?
0: Absolutely not. I mean in the care of the state one would presume that a child would be afforded uh, the greatest of safety, um, but unfortunately, these children are amongst the most vulnerable children in our society, and men and gr- and, and groups and individuals will prey on those vulnerabilities. I think the youngest um, girl that was mentioned in that particular study was twelve years of age. Wow! So it is it is so alarming, and it's something that I think warrants much greater discussion. Um, I think the story coincided with some high profile stories that emerged on the same day and it kind of got lost. Mm -hmm. But this study and this research is of huge significance because it really is the first type of empirical research that we have that discloses um, the the awfulness of the situation, what is happening to the exploitation of these children who are supposed to be in the care of the state. Um, but it's something, like I said at the beginning, that we would hear on a daily basis.
2: I mean, JP, I, I'm looking at Dr. Mary Canning, who was the co-author of the study, described the findings as harrowing and usually disturbing. And there was also parallels drawn with, I suppose people would be familiar with, what happened in Rochdale and Rotherham in England. Um, you know, there are certainly parallels. We have 5,600 children in the care of the state in this country. Now, only 400 live in group care homes run by Tusla and other contracted uh, uh, contractors. But in saying that, to think that, you know, they were powerless, it, says, it describes them being powerless to stop girls leaving to meet older men. These are young teenage girls. Is there, mm-hmm. I mean, if they're, if they're in care of the state... Surely, we have some. Somebody must be a guardian to the children. I mean, be, be it temporarily in the state is obviously the guardian of these children. They're awarded the state, so surely somebody has the power or the authority to stop them leaving.
1: Absolutely not. I think it's maybe the the term should be responsibility. You know, when somebody does enter into the, the care of the state, one, as you say, would presume that they are being cared for to the to the fullest degree. And as Anne mentioned, you know, we've we've been hearing this. Um these experiences anecdotally for the past number of months and for the past number of years from our colleagues on the front line, um, from social workers, from youth workers and people interacting with these young people. So I think while the report is alarming, shocking, it was heartbreaking to read it, um, I think it has opened up a conversation whereby we need to put safeguards in place for these children and not just for these children. I think these children were captured in the report. Because they are in the the care of the state, but looking at the wider, wider picture of young people who are not in the care of the state, who've been missed by the state, who are being trafficked for the purpose of exploitation around the country, and who won't be found within this data. So it's opening up a conversation Mm -hmm. that both Anne and I have been, I guess, holding our breath for the past six years now.
2: I mean, to, to think that they're, according to the article, they're being coerced and enticed to provide sex acts to multiple mm-hmm. men in exchange for a variety of goods. And these are coordinated gangs of predatory men. Not only do we have to focus on these girls who are being obviously very, very vulnerable and being used, mm-hmm. abused sexually and otherwise, but obviously we need prosecutions for the men that are doing this. And who are these men? And surely the individuals you know, involved or the authority in the state care have some sort of awareness as to who these men are that are coming to pick up these girls mm-hmm. or who they're going to meet. Is nobody, it's like just everybody's taking their hands off the wheel completely.
1: Mm Mm-hmm, absolutely. And it's certainly time, I think, when we arrive at a report and read a report like this for us to put our hands firmly back on the wheel. You know, these children are our responsibility. Um, We as adults, be it frontline professionals, educators like ourselves or members of society, we owe it to those children to, if they, they can't raise their voices themselves, to raise the voices and raise the alarm bells. There has to be a response to this report and um, the state has to come out very strong. And, um, you know, we're looking at the issue of trafficking. The state has only secured two, three prosecutions in our history for the issue of trafficking. The sentence that goes with it is life. It is a serious, serious issue that is not being called out for what is. So I'm, I'm hopeful that this report will do that. And it's certainly going to assist us in our work. And in, I suppose, our, our other pieces of work with children who are caught up in worlds of criminal exploitation. Yes, sexual exploitation and this report highlights that, but there are so many other forms of exploitation that are taking place in the country, and children who are being trafficked for that exploitation need us to stand up and stand out on their behalf.
2: I mean, we're not living, and not that it should happen in a third world country, but we're not living in a third world country. We're living in Western society where we should have the checks and balances. Mm-hmm. We should have the security, and to make sure this doesn't happen. I mean, even the idea that taxi drivers are bringing these children, girls, teenagers, from mm-hmm. residential care homes to hotels to be sexually exploited. Mm-hmm. Surely, mm-hmm. you know, Anne, you would imagine a, a taxi driver, the alarm bell would go off, wouldn't you? You you would think so, anyway.
0: Yes, well, you would. But I do think we have to look at the history in this country. And a lot of the time, unfortunately, people will, if they don't understand, maybe they know something is not right, but they don't understand maybe the complexity or the harm in the situation, they may choose to look the other way. And I suppose that really is the critical point coming out, one of the critical points coming out of the report and the emphasis on one of their strongest recommendations for training of frontline professionals. So that in the work that we do when we, when we speak to educators or medical staff or social workers or whoever it might be, um, really, I suppose, um, helping individuals and professionals recognize and understand the risks and the signs of exploitation. You know, there are very many indicators that are used all over the world. But if you don't know what to look out for, you're, you're, you're not necessarily going to see that child as a victim of a crime or a victim of trafficking or exploitation. But when, when,
2: but, but when you read the story, Anne, and you see girls being picked up um, and arriving back, you know, with clothes or jewellery, as it describes in the article. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to put together what's going on. And it doesn't matter, no, but, you know, I mean, if these are young girls, it's irrelevant how they feel about it. We have a duty and a responsibility not to look the other way because that's like the history of Ireland, that we've always looked the other way, isn't it? And um, We have a duty yeah. to do something and to protect them.
0: Yeah, we absolutely do. And it is the responsibility of Angarda to to intervene and to investigate that. But under Children's First Act, there are mandated persons especially those who are social workers, with the responsibility to point out when something is not right. I do think it becomes more complex because when we look at these children who are being exploited by these men, they might not even self-identify as a victim. So we have heard of, you were asking a question earlier about why somebody can't stop these girls from leaving the residential care home or whatever. But these girls um, are unaware of the extent of the exploitation that is happening to them. As far as they're concerned, they might be getting a new piece of jewellery or a new pair of trainers or something. And they don't really identify themselves as a victim in any way, shape or form. Um, but, so, but so to go back to your original question, it is absolutely the responsibility of the mandated person, whoever is in the care of that child, to report an incident like that happening. But we have spoken to social workers who have themselves told us that they have stood in front of the cars where these men are coming to pick these girls up, have literally stood in front of the cars and they'll just drive around the corner and the girl will leave thirty minutes later. They feel completely powerless to stop the exploitation that's taking place,
2: and it mentions coordinated gangs. It's quite organised. I don't know who these men are, but it's quite organised, and obviously some sort of ring of some description or some sort of communication between these groups of men that are doing this. Is that the case? Is it that coordinated? Would you imagine?
0: It is. It is very coordinated, um, and and we and we know that. And there's groups of these men who will work in tandem with each other and. Almost, it's it's like they they have the ability to transport these girls to hotels all across the country for the purpose of sexual exploitation. And in this report, there are stories about girls going missing for days on end mm. and coming back and um, having been dispo- um, transported across this network of men.
2: And JP, when we say these girls are mm. vulnerable, I mean, who are the, And obviously not their names, but who are these girls? Are there girls that come from troubled families who end up in foster care, who end up going from foster care to foster care? Mm-hmm. I mean, who are who are these girls? What I mean, what what kind of can we typify the type of girl that would be involved or would be in in this situation?
1: Well, that's a very good question, Niall. And from our experience, you know, of the the past seven years, what we would say is we would love to be able to say this is the type of person that can be a victim of trafficking but the only shared commonality amongst victims of trafficking is that they have a vulnerability that's being identified by the person who is trafficking them. So they come from all; they can come from any background, mm. um, any socioeconomic background, community group. It's not, I suppose, just a, a Dublin-centric issue or a city-centric issue. We're seeing children all over the country and um, falling victim to, to this type of exploitation. Um, so it would be, I suppose, a narrower search for us if we were able to say... This is what a typical victim or potential victim looks like, um, but that's not the case unfortunately now, and you know when we look at the industry of trafficking itself, we talked about the coordination of it. this coordination uh, globally is generating one hundred and fifty one billion dollars per year, so that is how coordinated it is it's an industry
2: I mean um, I, was, I was only um, reading a story other night about the trafficking mm-hmm. on the border of Mexico and America mm-hmm. and it's it's actually disturbing to read it, uh, to see. I watched a small documentary about th- these individuals who were trafficking in young mm. children. Um, and like you had one guy and he had five children who weren't his with him. Mm-hmm. And they were in a tent along mm-hmm. the border. And he was bringing him in essentially to sell them. And I'm going, yeah. who's what, uh, there's nobody monitoring this. It brought tears to my eye. I'm even thinking about it now. I get really upset thinking about mm-hmm. it. And these are very young kids obviously, but obviously I mentioned some young children there as well. I mean, these teenagers mm-hmm. that we're talking about, what is what is the age group of the of the girls in question that we're talking about being exploited and brought to hotels? Are we talking 14 to 17, 16 to 19? What is what is the age group? Or do you have an understanding well, of it?
1: Um, I think within the report, the youngest was 12 um, and went up to, to, I suppose, late teens. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we hear anecdotally, I suppose, again, around the exploitation of children in Ireland, we're seeing children as young as seven and eight being groomed into worlds of criminality. So at that young age, the children are being spotted. They're being brought along. They're being transported and moved around for, for the purpose of exploitation. And you know, there there can be a, I suppose, the times a tiny misconception now that a person has a child has to be brought into a country across the border. That's not the case when we talk about child trafficking and um, or trafficking in general. Children can be trafficked within their own town, village, or city for exploitation. It doesn't need to, to involve that huge movement. You know, we've, we've seen some really good pieces over the last maybe 12 to 18 months here in Ireland. I suppose conversation openers and, and one that your listeners might be interested to to have a look at was a piece that was done on RTE. It was called Every Five Miles. Um, it was a drama that was produced by Sinead Colopy and it was excellently produced and it looked at the issue of trafficking of a person into Ireland for the purpose of labour exploitation at a location that we're all very, very familiar with, mm-hmm. the petrol station that we all attend every couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, I suppose there is that wider um, conversation now that needs to be had. What exactly are we looking at? Who are we looking for? And what are we talking about when we talk about trafficking? It's not the other and it's not the other countries. You know, we're seeing data come out of the UK for the last number of years that's alarmingly alarmingly identifying Irish national children that are turning up in other jurisdictions. So not only are we not spotting Irish national children here at home, we're not spotting them being taken out of the country for exploitation. You know, our I mean, we're, we're, we're
2: a small country. I mean, I'll say this to both of mm. you. We're a small country. It can't be that difficult to manage a small country. We failed miserably to do it for the last 50 years, particularly when mm-hmm. we go right back to the mother and baby homes and the Magdalene laundries and everything else. And you would think, Anne, we had learned something from the mistakes of the past where we turned the other way and we allowed those things those disgusting and despicable things to happen in our history. And here we are, 2023. You would imagine we have a modern system there. Everybody's accountable for everything. And yet we're still doing the same thing.
0: I know. And it can be incredibly frustrating um, um, for uh, for us, those of us working in this project, trying to raise the profile of this topic for conversation. But even, I have to say it, at political levels, there is just an ambiguity or a misunderstanding around the issue. A lot of myths around um, trafficking of children or human beings are rife in this country. Um, Unfortunately, our own Taoiseach, when he was asked the question on a recent visit to the United States, he was asked by a member of the media um, what Ireland's response to human trafficking is. And his answer was very disturbing. He said, that Ireland doesn't have a, a, a great problem because we're a small country surrounded by vast waters and it makes it difficult for the small boats to arrive. I mean, that really just demonstrated the absolute lack of understanding around an issue that is growing in prevalence year on year in this country. And it's not getting the attention or the conversation that is critically required. I, 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 I
2: don't want to spread that. misinformation. I did see a story online the other day and I don't know how true it is. And I thought maybe I'd ask you guys about it because you would have a better understanding of what's going on. You obviously have your ear to the ground when it comes to this kind of thing. But as you know, we've had a large influx of people over the last year. Many of those genuine people looking for safe haven. Um, but the story uh, is in relation to children and unaccompanied minors coming into Ireland and going missing. Or maybe being brought into human being uh, trafficked, I don't know. Is that a common problem?
0: Oh, gosh, this is, another, this is another one that we've been trying to shout from the rooftops. Since 2018, 45 unaccompanied minors, uh, up to 65 now, the number has risen, unaccompanied minors have gone missing from the care of the state. And we know when we look across the water in the UK, they have also had a couple of hundred unaccompanied minors going missing They have evidence that shows these gangs, again, coordinated networks of individuals targeting these children because of their heightened vulnerabilities and trafficking them for exploitation. So as far as we're concerned, from our perspective, that is a real threat. We don't know where those children are. Some of them could be
2: genuinely explained that they may have been picked up by an adult who is related to them or whatever, right? But many of them may not. They may be in the hands well, if of, they're under the care, of a ring. If they're,
0: under, if they're under the care of the state and they are picked up or reunified with a family member here, then that would have been made known to the state. Um, the fact that these children have disappeared and the state has no idea where they are.
2: But, it, but is, it, it's, this, it, it's not good enough to just say they don't know where they are. Whatever about our responsibility and our duty to adults that come into the country... For children, it doesn't matter where they're from, we have a duty and a responsibility. At the moment they step off a plane, step off a boat or arrive in this country unaccompanied, you know, as a minor, we have a duty and a responsibility to either get them to their family, make sure they find their family or get back home to their family or whatever it is they, they have to do, or in the interim, we're responsible for them. We must look after them. But to say that we essentially have lost them, that's incredible. Mm-hmm.
0: I know it is. And this is a similar story to what um, came about in 2012, where there was a sy- sy- systemic um, focus on, uh, again, unaccompanied minors being housed in hostels in Dublin city centre. And there were gangs then um, targeting these children and the children were going missing. It it brought great attention to the issue back in that back in 2012. But here we are, 10 years later. None of the recommendations that were made in the research that came out of UCC around that time have been implemented. And so here we are at the same uh, spot again, talking about this happening, failing the children who are supposed to be in our care, who have come here for safe haven. Um, from other countries who, by the way, have often experienced the most complex trauma um, and are extremely vulnerable. So, it, you know, sometimes it gets...
2: I mean, it's, so bad, it's bad enough being in a strange country, if you were, say, 12 or 13 years of age, being in a strange country and being in care of the state without being taken advantage of, you know, or being mm-hmm. sexually exploited or whatever it happens to be. I, I can't... I just can't fathom that. And that's when I watched that documentary about Mexico. That's what upset me so much. Sorry, JP, you want to say something.
1: No, I was just going to, to agree with what, what Anne was saying. You know, the extent of the trauma that these young people, these children have experienced before they even land into the shores and to to consider that the fullest and utmost attention is not provided to them is deeply, deeply concerning. I think we, we saw a a response from um, from government when these, these numbers were disclosed to us and it suggested that, you know, a number of these children had indicated that they planned to return home. And I'm not sure about you. Now, but when I was 12, 13 years of age, I was certainly not in a position to, to be able to put myself onto a flight or attend to a ferry port. So to say that they planned to return home and that's what they probably did, it's just unfathomable.
2: I mean, I'm looking at some of the text coming in. Somebody mentions here that Ann Kelleher, APT communications state, that not only does the state have a duty, but they also, we have as a population, owe it to these vulnerable children, that they are cared for safely and securely. It's a moral obligation, apart from a legal obligation, I think. Well, we do have a legal obligation, but we also have a moral obligation. Mm -hmm. And by the findings of these reports and by listening to both of you tonight, I'm completely in shock that this is happening in 2023. And so, and right under our nose. I mean, it's just, it's just appalling. And I I think our listeners are probably shocked. And and it is a parallel. They mentioned in the report, of course, a parallel, or in the Irish Times, uh, you know, that was uncovered in Rochdale and Rotherham in England. And everybody Mm. is very familiar with that story where the paedophile rings were exploiting young children. I mean, it is a parallel, isn't it? It is, absolutely. And that was... A
1: very well-produced um, piece again, mm-hmm. um, Three Girls. But it is echoing the experiences, unfortunately, that both Anne and I have encountered all around the country um, mm-hmm. over the past five, six years. Those three girls, they're identifiable in, in communities in Ireland. Um, and I thought that's why we're so grateful now for you opening up the conversation this evening. You know, so few people are having it, um, but it certainly needs to be had. As you say, you know, the, these children are reliant on us as adults, as statutory services, um, to respond to their needs. And if we're we're failing in doing that, then we're we're I suppose we're open to, to invitation to for questions to be asked why? Why is that happening? If we've had the experience in the past, why is it happening again?
2: And what I'm shocked by as well is that JP just mentioned there and you said it earlier on too that you're grateful to talk about it on the radio tonight and I'm glad to talk to you by the way because unfortunately as you well know news has been consumed all week by the RT story which pales into ins- insignificance because it's only about money pales into ins- insignificance in relation to this story. Why do you think it was in the Irish Times last week uh, and I read it in the Irish Times and I was shocked about it I actually put a tweet up about it last, or during the week there as well and, and it got a massive reaction but yet nobody's really talking about it. When, we, it. when It's such a shocking story and, and listen to both of you and how much and you care about this story, and I care deeply about it, and I'm sure the majority of the population would care if they knew about it as well. Why do you think there is this ambiguity in relation to this story?
0: Well, I think because it unfortunately shines a light on a very dark side of um, our Irish society. I mean the fact of the matter is, Niall, you know, um, there are in order for the sexual exploitation of children to increase year on year like I mentioned earlier it depends on a demand that is there and unfortunately there is a demand uh, for the sexual exploitation of children and we know anecdotally from from people that we work with that, that an individual will pay more for sexual access to a child than they will to an adult and that really is the the dark side? Even of, listening to of you
2: saying to that is disturbing. Do you understand that yeah. when, when people hear people saying that, you know that an adult, you know, male, primarily, will pay mm-hmm. higher prices mm-hmm. for a younger child. It's actually disturbing to even think of.
0: It is, and I mean, and and that's the grim reality of it. And I do think it is very uncomfortable for people to speak about. Um, And not that that is a reason not to speak about it, but I do think it reveals a very, very disturbing side of Irish society um, that is unfortunately alive and well. Um, And again, just, you know, I know that the the listeners know this, but these are children, you know, Mm, these are children of young 12. Yeah, it it, it is, it is. I know, I have three
2: children myself, and thankfully they're all adults now, but... I remember when they were twelve and how vulnerable. I wouldn't let them walk to the shop on their own. Never mind get on a train or a bus or a plane, or be exploited mm-hmm. by anybody. I mean, you just—if you have children and you value your children—you couldn't fathom this happening to any child, even if it wasn't yours. You just can't. So, what's the future, Anne? I mean, how how do you stop this, or how do we? How does it get more attention, or how do we make the government listen, or how do we, you know, make the uh, you know, uh, TUSLA obviously have a responsibility and a duty in this as well. So how do we make them listen?
0: Well, I, I suppose TUSLA have in the last um, while um, partnered with us and we have started engaging with social workers within TUSLA and raising awareness around this issue, speaking to them about indicators. Um, but they have a they have a lot to do as legislation will be changed this year um, and it will include um, not just the Guardian with formal responsibility to identify victims of trafficking in this country, but it's going to broaden out to include social workers, HSE, Workplace Relations Commission and others, which is a really, really encouraging move. I suppose the next step is that for all of those frontline professionals who will now have the responsibility to spot these indicators and to identify victims of this crime, that they would receive mandatory training in this area. And I will say, you know, that, that report did highlight the role of the hospitality industry. We know that hotels have are being used all across the country, not only to accommodate children in state care, but also all those unprecedented numbers of vulnerable women and children fleeing from the war in Ukraine. So I do think the hospitality industry has a vital role to play in training their staff um, in this area and opening up that conversation.
2: Both of you, thank you very much indeed uh, for coming on the air and highlighting it. I think it's really important. Um, I think our listeners, one of our listeners actually last night when we were talking about RT, said, Now, why are you not covering this story? And I, and I did mm-hmm. mention on our social media, and I did had said it to Jane during the week to, let's get somebody on to talk about it. So I did want to make sure that we did talk about it, and everything isn't just about RT at the moment. But thank you both, JP O'Sullivan, who's the Network and Communications Manager at MECPaths, and Anne Mara, Education Manager with MECPaths. I appreciate both of you coming on the air. Continue to do some great work and uh, continue to highlight us. And if there's ever anything we can do here as a radio station in the future to help or to assist, uh, we'll happily do that too. Just get in touch with Jane at any time. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks
1: so much, Thank you very right. much. Good
2: Thank evening to Good evening to you both.
1: Alright,
2: good evening. Bye-bye. What a shocking, shocking story. Um, I had said last night to one of our listeners, I said, why didn't we cover that? We were going to be covering it because I knew Jane had been speaking to Mechpaths. Um, but I didn't understand the extent of it. And I, 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 I mentioned that I watched this documentary and it was, it was online on YouTube. Parts of it I didn't know whether it were true or not because it was so, it seemed so far-fetched of these men that were bringing in, like one guy had like five or six children with him and all under the age of 12. And he was selling them. It was like the black market. Selling them to wealthy men in America to be sexually exploited. Think about that for a minute. A child, a young child of nine or ten years of age being sold as a commodity to be sexually exploited. And if you read this report, you'll read, it wasn't just, by the way, girls in this report, boys are mentioned as well, who were groomed. And 21 staff were interviewed in relation to, you know, what they had saw and what they had witnessed. And I think we need to train the staff better to recognise this is happening. That when they see a young teenage girl going off in a taxi to a hotel and coming back with new clothes and a handbag or jewellery, as it mentions in the article, that something has happened. Or they're coming back with drugs. They've given drugs in exchange for sex, I imagine. And we also have to talk to the hospitality industry. The guys are right. The hospitality industry play a huge role in this because they're also allowing it to happen. They're enabling it as well. When they see a 45-year-old man walking into a hotel with a 16-year-old girl who may not look like his daughter, one must look into it. Now, you have to do that with caution. You can't walk up to a man who might be with his daughter and say, what are you doing with a young child? But I'm assuming when you go into any hotel, they ask you for a passport, don't they? Well, they do abroad. Why don't we do it here? Why don't we have to produce identification? because normally when you go to Spain or you go anywhere and you go into a hotel, they ask you for your passport and they keep it overnight. Sometimes, Nowadays, they just tend to take a photocopy of it and they give it back to you. But some sort of checks and balances. Or if you're a taxi driver and you're going to a residential care home and you're picking up a 15 or 16-year-old child and bringing them to a hotel, surely you'd say to yourself, something's up. Nobody's asking you to do anything about it. But going to a local guard station and saying, listen, I'm just letting you know, I was at this care home. I just picked up a kid and I was asked to bring her to a hotel and there was a guy standing outside waiting outside. It looked very suspicious. I'm just letting you know. That would be no harm. That all helps. But it has to stop. And to imagine that since the war started and since people started coming here last year, 60 children they mentioned and many from Ukraine and other countries around the world have come into Ireland unaccompanied. Now I don't know whether that's a parent putting them on a plane Or a child that maybe has lost their parents. I don't know. But when they arrive here, we have a duty and a responsibility to think that they're gone missing, that we lost them. Where are they? How do you lose? I mean, a parent would lose a a child in Dunn's Stores for five minutes and they go into a panic. But the state loses a child permanently and nothing happens. We're not responsible somehow. It's incredible. Real people, real opinions. Real Talk
1: Radio, the multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show.